Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Ramey. This week, we talk with Professor J.B. Rule, David Daniels Allen, Distinguished Chair of Law, Director of the Program on Law and Innovation, and Co-Director of the Energy, Environment, and Land Use Program at Vanderbilt University. JB is an expert on environmental, natural resources, and property law, and we'll talk to him today about the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA. We'll talk about what NEPA does, what it doesn't do, and the recent changes proposed by the Trump administration. Stay with us. Okay, JB Rule from Vanderbilt University in beautiful and enjoyable Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for joining us today on Resources Radio. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we are going to talk, uh, JB, today about NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act. But before we do so, could you uh, give us a little bit of background on how you ended up working on environmental issues and uh, particularly in a legal context? Well, sure. It's it's actually uh, a very, you know, haphazard random path. I, I didn't, uh, you know, uh, decide to be an environmental lawyer when I was in kindergarten. Um, it, you know, I, as an undergraduate uh, at the University of Virginia, I was an economics major, but I, I you know, I explored other uh, topics and I took a couple of environmental science classes. I then went to law school, but at the time I, I went to the University of Virginia as well. Uh, there was no environmental law class. There was barely environmental law. Um, now I'm dating myself, but, um, and uh, so it wasn't really until I, graduated and started working at a law firm in Washington, D.C., and I, I decided uh, to get an LLM at night at George Washington University. And I was not intent on any particular subject area, but I started taking environmental law classes. And I sort of snowballed from there. I, I really liked the classes, and this was in the early 80s when environmental law was really becoming a, a big field of practice for companies and law firms. And, you know, I knew I knew the acronyms. I knew what everything, you know, sort of meant more than anyone else in the in the office. So as environmental work started coming into the office, it just got funneled to me and it, it went from there. And I just continued my interest in it. Uh, and eventually that, that was all I did full time was basically environmental law, particularly uh, of land development. Great. And speaking of acronyms, uh, you mentioned LLM. What does that stand for? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it's a master's <laughs> degree. It's a the degree after a, a Juris Doctorate. So it's a specialization degree that, um, I don't know what LLM stands for actually, but uh, uh, it's a master's degree basically. Great, okay, thanks. So um, so let's dive into it and, and talk now about NEPA, which you have you know lots and lots of experience with, um, much more than I, I should say to our listeners that this is pretty much virgin territory for me. So I'll be asking some fundamental questions of JB and then we'll uh, get into some more details, particularly about the recently proposed changes from the Trump administration. But to start off, can you just give us a little bit of history about uh, NEPA, for example, when was it enacted and, and particularly what types of problems was it designed to address? Sure, and speaking of acronyms, NEPA is the National Environmental Policy Act, but known as NEPA. It was passed in 1969. And um, it basically was designed to ensure that federal agencies, when they are funding or carrying out an activity or approving an activity, kind of check in and assess the impacts to the environment uh, of the activity. 
Uh, and it, the statute itself is actually pretty bare bones. It doesn't really say much about how this is to be done, what's supposed to be included in this study. Um, there's a one sort of paragraph that has become the uh, centerpiece of NEPA practice, which consists of regulations uh, that are developed by the Council on Environmental Quality, which is part of the Office of the Executive, the White House, um, and uh, then extensive amounts of case law, because uh, if uh, an agency fails to carry out NEPA faithfully or accurately, uh, then uh, opponents or people who object to feel they would be injured by the, the project and the agency's failure can bring an action in federal court. And that has led to an extensive uh, body of case law interpreting NEPA, applying NEPA. So if one just read the statute, you would really have no idea what's going on under NEPA. Um, and then you read the CEQ regulations. Those are the regulations that are being uh, proposed for revision. And you dig a level deeper, and then you read the case law and realize there's just so much to NEPA that um, that's a, it's actually a quite a complex practice area. Yeah. Well, we'll get into some of those complexities, I think, over the next um, couple of minutes. Um, maybe one other background question first, though, which is which is about the scope of NEPA and, and what types of projects it applies to and which it doesn't. You know, I usually hear about NEPA being referenced with regard to large infrastructure projects like interstate highways or long distance oil pipelines. I imagine, though, if I you know wanted to do a home renovation, NEPA probably wouldn't apply to my home renovation, although maybe it does, I don't know. Uh, so, so, that, so I'm wondering if you can give us some context for, for thinking about when and where NEPA actually comes into play. Sure. So the statute refers to um, every recommendation or report on proposals for legislation that an agency makes and, quote, other major federal actions significantly affecting the quality of the human environment. Okay, so that's that's the world to which NEPA applies. What does that mean? Well, you have to confer uh, consult the CEQ regulations. And they define this as actions that the federal government carries out, such as building a post office, um, funds, uh, so funding of interstate highways, or approves. So that would be approval of a permit, say, for the Corps of Engineers to fill wetlands or um, other federal permits, authorizations. So the starting point is basically anything federal agencies do, very broadly. And there are some exceptions um, that some of which are kind of complicated, but some of which seem pretty obvious. So for example, if the agency has no discretion, it can't, it has to do X. Congress has said, agency, go do this, period. Uh, NEPA does not apply because there's no point to assessing the environmental impact because the assessment couldn't influence the decision. There is no decision. Um, and NEPA does not apply to the president directly. In other words, if the president takes some action and not through an agency, uh, the president is not an agency. And it doesn't apply to um, you know states and local governments and private actors directly, but it does apply to them if they're seeking federal funding or if they're seeking federal approval. Uh, so, you know, you start to narrow it down uh, from the very broad idea of anything an agency does. 
agencies also are allowed to uh, categorically exclude certain activities that would clearly not rise to any meaningful environmental impact. Uh, so there are categorical exclusions um, uh, for, well, for example, one that's sort of been in the news lately is the uh, FCC, Federal Communications Commission, does, does not or has issued a categorical exclusion for satellites. And now there are so many satellites in the sky, people are, at, are sort of um, pushing back on that and, and suggesting that the FCC should, you know, subject satellite launches to NEPA, satellite approvals to NEPA. So, you know, th there are ways to keep things out of NEPA, but th those can be controversial. Right. So I guess uh, one question that I had was if we think historically and not referring to the recent proposed changes uh, from the administration, but if we think historically, what types of impacts and environmental effects has NEPA uh, required agencies to account for in their approvals uh, or, or their own activities? For example, um, how has NEPA required agencies to account for the impacts that might occur some distance from the project itself? So if we think about an oil pipeline that requires some kind of federal approval, um, you know, I could easily imagine that the construction of a new oil pipeline would lead to more oil wells being drilled in the oil field where the pipeline originates. Um, but do, does NEPA cover that type of induced or kind of indirect activity, or is it only the direct effects of the project itself? Well, that's a great question. And But let me back up first before I address that, just so we're clear about one thing. Uh, through a series of United States Supreme Court opinions interpreting NEPA, um, it's clear that NEPA is purely a procedural statute. So in other words, when you ask, what do they have to account for? They have to describe impacts. They have to describe alternatives to their proposed action. But it doesn't matter whether their proposed action has impacts or whether an alternative would be less impact to the environment. There's no substantive component to NEPA. There's nothing that says, once you do this assessment, your decision has to be, you know, the least environmentally intrusive, or you have to do things to change the project. Um, so when you say account for, I just want to be clear that that's really just a procedural accounting. Um, as to your question, what impacts? So again, the statute does not tell us uh, the answer to that question. So the CEQ has for many, for decades, had regulations in place that divide the world into three kinds of impacts, direct, indirect, and cumulative. So let's take your example of a highway or a pipeline. The direct effects are the highway or the pipeline, right? The pipeline is going to go through a right of way that will require taking land, chopping down trees, clearing an area, digging a hole perhaps, you know, a trench. Um, those are the direct effects. Then the indirect effects are a little squishier. You suggested, well, what about downstream impacts? If we build this pipeline and it goes to point X, well, oil has to go in the pipeline or natural gas. So will this induce uh, more drilling? Will this induce more development? So these are the indirect. Usually they're defined as distant in time or space. So in other words, they're happening not where the direct impacts are happening or maybe later. So a highway might induce uh, development, a highway is used, and that might lead to oil runoff. Those are indirect effects. Cumulative effects are effects of 
many, many, perhaps even small projects building up over time. Uh, and so one has to ask, well, yeah, this project doesn't seem to have much impact, but if we're approving or funding 10,000 of them, how do we account for those cumulative effects? And this is one area where the proposed rules are changing uh, the way we think of that. Right. And to maybe circle back to your, your preface in answering that question, just to make sure I under, understand this and, and our audience understands it, when, when an agency carries out a NEPA review, there's no like requirement at the end of the review. If they find one thing or another, that doesn't mean that they have to require the developer to proceed in a certain way. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Under NEPA, that's right. There may be incentives to reduce impacts because the way CEQ designed this whole process of conducting an assessment, um, it's a several stages of this sort of decision making as to how far to go with the assessment. So let's say you have a project. The first thing you would do if you're not sure what the impacts are is conduct an environmental assessment. And that's kind of a quick, uh, you're not going to go out, you know, researching the you know everything or, or um, studying everything about the project just kind of make a first cut at does this look like it's going to have significant impacts on the environment if the answer is no then the agency will issue what's called a finding of no significant impact or a fonzi <laughs> that's that's definitely our acronym of the day after yes FONSI, yes right? that that has certainly led to many chuckles um so uh, a FONSI is a good thing for the agency or the developer or anyone who needs you know, money or approval from the federal agency because that's the end of the process. Now, uh, what ha that has led to is in some cases, a project initial design might then, if, if you're thinking, well, you know, this looks like it's going to have significant impact, it might lead to changes in the project design or what's called mitigation, which means offsetting the impacts with some improvements. So we might be affecting wetlands here, but we're gonna improve wetlands over there, something like that. That can allow you to, so it's called mitigating to a FONSI. And um, there, then you avoid the big study, what's called the environmental impacts uh, statement. That's the right. big study, takes years, lots of procedure, lots of rigmarole. So there has been some impact uh, from NEPA in terms of reducing uh, impacts, but it's mainly in, through the incentives uh, that the, the process presents for avoiding uh, doing the full-blown environmental impact statement. It's again, as you accurately uh, summarized, it is there is no substantive demand that NEPA ever makes. Got it. That's really helpful. And and answer is sort of a fundamental question that I've always had about NEPA. So this has been really useful for me already. Um, Turning now to the Trump administration's proposed changes to NEPA, can you talk a little bit about what those pr uh, proposed changes are and sort of how significant they might be? You know, there's this term that that's used in the background readings that I did where uh, agencies are only asked to include effects that are reasonably foreseeable, uh, which seems like an important phrase, uh, but maybe there are other important phrases um, that, that you want to point out and sort of talk us through. Well, yeah. There, so, and let me point out first that there's uh, what's happening under NEPA has some parallels to what's happening under the the new rules that the Trump administration passed under the Endangered Species Act, which also 
includes a kind of impact study. Uh, it's called a consultation on, on uh, impacts to species. And that process has also divided the world into direct and indirect uh, effects. The, the way in which uh, CEQ, Council on Environmental Quality under NEPA, and also the agencies that implement the Endangered Species Act. You think, well, how do you, you know, you can't just sit around and speculate about impacts, right? You have to have some grounding as to which impacts really do we need to consider. And they've generally used this kind of reasonably foreseeable proximate cause kind of uh, analysis. So we, we want agencies to consider impacts that, you know, this project is actually causing and which are reasonably foreseeable. The CEQ used those words to help us understand which indirect and direct impacts need to be considered. And so one argument is that this change is just kind of collapsing or doing away with this distinction between direct and indirect and just saying, just consider all the effects that are reasonably foreseeable and which the project is you know, the, the, a causal force in. And so in that sense, it's not really that radical. Um, it's not really, you can argue it's not making much of a change and perhaps it's simplifying uh, the way we undertake this impacts analysis. What it does though is it, it the proposal's also um, essentially eliminating the idea of cumulative impacts because your project isn't the cause of some other project's impact. So probably the most concerning aspect of the proposal as far as say environmental interest groups go would be the de-emphasis of cumulative impacts um, such as again you know if we're authorizing the removal of you know a small amount of of a species habitat on a project that might not amount to very much but if there's a thousand such projects it might amount to a cumulative impact I think if NEPA has done anything, uh, well, it's done quite a, a lot, of course, but I think the most important contribution NEPA has made to environmental law and policy has been to really focus our attention on cumulative impacts, the need to keep them under assessment. That doesn't mean that NEPA requires that we do anything about them, but uh, NEPA, I think, has really helped us understand that just because this project doesn't have significant effects on a particular resource uh, doesn't mean that, you know, a hundred others won't add up to a significant effect. And these proposals would do away with that uh, kind of, uh, sharply undercut that kind of analysis. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's really clear. Um, I guess one uh, additional sort of cut at this question uh, looks less at the environmental effects that we might see uh, on a stream or on a wetland or on a, a habitat, uh, but instead um, affects in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. So can you talk a little bit about uh, to what extent NEPA currently requires accounting for greenhouse gas emissions, either you know direct, indirect, cumulative, mm-hmm. um, and how the administration's proposed change, where we're just thinking about reasonably foreseeable, um, you know how, how that would affect uh, any accounting or consideration of greenhouse gas emissions at different phases of the project? Sure. And this question actually goes back to policy developments over the past decade, really. So 
the Obama administration um, developed policy, not not a regulation, but policy uh, defining uh, how agencies should consider greenhouse gas emissions uh, and um, focused both on the um, impacts, the, the, the emissions from the project itself. And they kind of set a threshold of how many thousands of tons a project would need to emit before it would be you know, in the zone of NEPA uh, environmental impact statement analysis. Uh, and they included in that both the direct and then the indirect, you know, downstream or inducement effects. They also, uh, in that policy, required agencies to consider the effects of climate change on the project. So in other words, you know, if you're designing a coastal project, should you take into account sea level rise? That policy uh, was rescinded by the Trump administration uh, through a presidential memorandum. It had been adopted by the uh, Obama administration as a actually as a presidential memorandum, so no agency was involved. It just you know Obama just signed a policy document, and then Trump rescinded it along with others through an executive order. Actually, it's kind of the same thing. But um, so those were both presidential actions. And so when Trump rescinded that, uh, you know, again, the sort of law of NEPA, you said, well, what, what does NEPA require? Well, you also have to look at courts. And courts have interpreted NEPA to require essentially what President Obama in his presidential memorandum required. These regulations are essentially, you know, now as a matter of regulation, not just policy, are really, although not saying it directly, they're basically saying you don't have to consider greenhouse gas emissions because that you know any one project is such a small contributor that um and the cumulative effects are really global so how could you consider you know projects going on in china and japan right. and yeah so basically they're they're backing nepa out of greenhouse gas emissions um pretty clearly mm-hmm. okay yeah that's definitely part of the decision making that that has received some of the most attention that yeah. I've seen, in yeah. particular this question around, you know, not considering future climate impacts when designing infrastructure. Right. Um, that seems um, that's pretty surprising um, to to me at least. Um, so one one additional question, which is kind of a a, a legal question, I think, uh, is at least it's about the language that's included in the proposal. Um, so the, the wording that I saw often used the phrase need not, as in an agency need not include detailed analysis of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but that phrase need not doesn't seem to me to prevent agencies from doing a greenhouse gas analysis or, or some other um, some some other additional analyses. So so if these changes go into effect or when they go into effect, could a future administration basically leave them unchanged and yet still choose to do additional greenhouse gas or other types of analyses if, if they thought it was appropriate? I think the answer to that is yes. I mean, frankly, we don't have clear answers to some of your questions because it's just an area that's in so much flux. And the, re- the reality as well is that the court opinions that have addressed uh, greenhouse gas emissions and climate change, they're still on the books. And so one challenge uh, that I would imagine would come out of any finalization of these rules would be 
to say, well, the courts have said that you you have to consider greenhouse gas emissions and um, uh, downstream effects and the effects of climate change on the project. So your regulations are inconsistent with court interpretations of the statute. And we'll actually really have to go back and determine what exactly were the courts interpreting. Were they interpreting regulations, statute? Um, so it's a real mess, to tell you the truth, Daniel. It's a, it's a lawyer's heaven because we're going to have <laughs> so many lawsuits over what exactly happens when a set of regulations comes out that changes the framework, the wording, the, um, the uh, obviously the requirements. Um, and we have a body of case law that's decades old that was based on the very sparse statute and CEQ regulations and sort of just the logic of judicial reasoning uh, in terms of statutory and regulatory interpretation. So when when people ask, you know, what what does the NEPA require? That it's there's never an easy answer in the sense that it's always an amalgam of the statute, the regulations, and court opinions. And we haven't had regulatory changes uh, in quite a while. Uh, CEQ has issued policy guidance like the one I mentioned the Obama administration did. Um, so we're at a juncture where if these rules are finalized, we'll have to kind of reevaluate what exactly case law requires and doesn't require and whether or not these regulations can actually um, go forward on the reasoning that the court opinions really weren't interpreting NEPA, they were just interpreting CEQ and agency practice. Right. Got it. So along with uh, streamlining environmental reviews. It's a jobs program for lawyers. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So last last question now, JB, before we go to our top of the stack segment, which is um, in the background meeting I was doing before this conversation, several uh, commentators, um, I don't know if uh, speculated is the right word, but, but they see, seem to suggest that the changes proposed here under NEPA by the Trump administration were particularly focused on uh, making things easier for uh, long distance oil and natural gas pipeline construction. Um, do you see that as a, uh, I don't know, is, is there much grounding to support that statement or is that just kind of people speculating about the, the motives of the administration? Um, well, I, I don't have any you know direct insights to the motives of the administration. I think it's probably a fair uh, uh, assessment. Um, all linear projects are extremely complicated under NEPA. So you say a pipeline, right? You might have a pipeline that's 400 miles long. Well, there's not federal funding for the pipeline. Uh, the federal government is not um, uh, approving it, let's say, uh, right? It's a natural gas pipeline. Um, so where's the NEPA nexus? And the nexus generally is crossings of streams. And that, Im that implicates the Corps of Engineers which implements Section 404 of the Clean Water Act. And so there might only be four stream crossings in 400 miles, and they're each, you know, 10 feet wide. So what is NEPA supposed to do with that? Uh, and there are, uh, we can get, we get really now into the weeds of NEPA. Um, but I think th th part of this is to, yes, I agree that they're trying to uh, reduce the NEPA burden on uh this will reduce the NEPA burden on linear projects, and in particular, um, linear projects, certain kinds of pipelines that are not approved by the federal government. Um, you know, other projects that are not 
that don't require federal approval necessarily. Um, you know, wind farms, uh, solar arrays, if they're not on public lands, might not have any federal approval required, uh, but they might have a, if they have a small, it's called a small handle problem, Daniel. It's, it's what do you do when the NEPA nexus to a project is just a, you know, one stream crossing out of a hundred miles? Right. Does this small handle mean that NEPA applies to the whole project? or just to that little area, right? And this has been going on, this, this, this small handle issue and the res resolution of it has been, you know, sort of a NEPA issue for decades. So interesting. Well, JB, I, I get the feeling that I could ask you several hundred more questions about NEPA <laughs> and we still won't be getting to the, to the bottom of it, but, um, but this has been a really great sort of primer on on the topic and, and particularly about the proposed changes. So, so thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to, to spend your time with us and, sure. and share your expertise. Um, I want to close this out by asking you the same question that we ask all our guests, which is uh, what's on the top of your literal or metaphorical reading stack. So something you've read or watched or heard lately that, that you've really enjoyed relating to the environment. Um, and I will, uh, briefly just recommend a new podcast that I discovered. Um, so as soon as you're done listening every week, of course, to your resources radio <laughs> podcast, you can check out this new one that's called Boomtown. And um, it's a very different subject from what we've covered today, but it's all about the Permian Basin uh, in West Texas and, and New Mexico. Uh, and it, it talks about the history of the Permian Basin, as well as uh, some really great reporting and storytelling about what's happening there now, uh, which is this historic boom in, in oil production out there in the Permian. So oh, I yeah. really recommend it. It's from Texas Monthly, uh, and the podcast is called Boomtown. Uh, sure. So how about you, JB? What's uh, what's on the top of your stack? Well, so I have to admit I I uh, spend all day at work thinking about environmental law and policy. So I don't necessarily rush home to read more environmental <laughs> law and policy. I feel you. Uh, but uh, what I'm reading right now is I'm actually uh, going back and starting a book I started years ago and didn't finish not because I didn't enjoy it, just I probably just got sidetracked. Um, uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. And uh, the reason I, I'm, in, perhaps it's because of my growing interest in climate change adaptation. You know, the thesis of that book is that um, uh, environmental conditions have much explanatory power for understanding how civilizations sort of, that were all hunter-gatherers around the world in, you know, 11,000 BC, diverged in terms of technological and other uh, features. And, you know, I, I think we're at a point where environmental change is going to, uh, because of climate change, once again, kind of separate um, north and south, east and west, whatever you want to call it, uh, in, you know, developing developed worlds in ways that will, could for, for millennia and millennia, even if we solve climate change, sort of lock in disparities uh, that um, have lasting social and cultural implications. So um, I'm going to go back and reread that. I'm already into it and just kind of see what I can learn from that for purposes of thinking about our our future of environmental change. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I haven't read that book, but it sounds like there certainly would be connections to make there. Um, great. Well, thank you so much, JB, for, for sharing those recommendations and for, again, sharing your expertise on NEPA. Um, and we really appreciate your time, and thanks for joining us on Resources Radio. Oh, it was my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad to have uh, reconnected with you, Daniel, and I'm very honored to be part of your podcast. Well, thank you very much. You've been listening to Resources Radio. 
If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. Learn more about us at rff.org. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the participants. They do not necessarily represent the views of resources for the future, which does not take institutional positions on public policies. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson, with music by me, Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode. 